Welcome, welcome, welcome to the My Thing Is This podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. And each week, we talk about what's going on in the world. And as we talk about that, I let you know my thing is this, about what's going on in the world. Again, I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Welcome to the My Thing Is This podcast. Stay tuned, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Welcome, 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 everybody. This is, again, Troy Sampson with the My Thing Is This podcast, coming to you live on Sunday. I got a special guest that's joining me today for my podcast. He's an OG. He's a big brother. He's family. Uh, this man is accomplished. He has been around the world. He's done so many things. He's been. A, he's a father, husband, brother, cousin, Q dog. Uh, he's he's everything. Uh, and so, without further ado, I'm gonna introduce my man, the myth, the legend, Mr. O. D. Lewis. Welcome, sir. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Troy. I'm so glad to be here to talk to you today. So tell us a little bit about yourself, O. Oh, man, uh, I don't have any problem with telling you about myself. I, uh, <laughs> I'm a country boy from Texas. Uh, I'm a retired military officer who served in three branches of the service. I was in the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Army. I'm also an RN and uh, recently retired from Johns Hopkins Hospital, where I spent 20 years in the Center for Psychiatry. Um, I am uh, a man who believes that no man is any taller until he reaches down to help another man. So my whole thing about walking through life is if I could touch someone and move them to be a better person, then uh, I've done my job. That's what's up, bro. Thank you for that introduction, man. Um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, brother. Have you on just to chop it up. Again, like I told you before, you know, this is just an open podcast. You know, we not, I'm not professional like the professionals are. So it's going to be what it is. We just, it's just two brothers just shooting the breeze, man, talking about life, talking about what's going on in the world and whatnot. Well, I'm glad you uh, had a chance to invite me because the day I met you, I saw something different in uh, the way that you walk through life. And um, it reminded me of, of how sometimes people are the company that they keep. Uh, I saw you and my brother-in-law and some other young men who had been friends for uh, 
ever since the time that y'all were in nursery school. So it led me to believe that you are the company you keep. Uh, can I tell you a little story? Yes, sir. Well, this story is about uh, the turkeys walking through the forest. And the turkeys were getting ready to make their nests. But above them was an eagle nest. And the eagle had so many eggs in the nest that one of them fell out and landed right there in front of the turkeys. The turkeys picked up the uh, eagle's uh, uh, egg and took it home and sat on it until it, until it started to hatch. Well, as the little eagle was in there, the first little turkey hatched and he got out and walked out and the next one hatched and he got out and walked out and then finally got to the little the little eagle so he hatched and he got out and walked out and he was in line with the rest of them walking through the forest and some grown eagles saw him and they swooped down to see why was this eagle down there with these turkeys so when the eagles got down there they said hey why are you down here with these turkeys the, the baby turkey said a baby eagle said i'm a turkey he said, no, you're an eagle. You're not a turkey. He said, when I was hatched, I was in this nest, and everybody in the nest was a turkey, so I must be a turkey. He said, I'm going to show you you're not a turkey. He said, you see that cliff over there? I want you to take off running fast as you can and jump off that cliff. The baby eagle said, I can't do that. He said, I'm a turkey. Turkeys can't fly like that. He said, try so he took off running and he jumped off the ledge and he soared and soared and soared. And then he didn't come back for a long time. <laughs> so finally when he got back, the grown eagle asked him, what did you learn today? And the baby eagle said, I learned that you cannot fly with the eagles when you're hanging out with a bunch of turkeys. <laughs> That was a great story, bro. That was a great story. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I see people that will quote on Instagram or social media talking about you can't be an eagle if you're flying with pigeons because pigeons are like turkeys. They're always on the ground. Pigeons, very, they fly, but they don't fly like eagles. So right. a lot of people, especially when people are hating on them and being jealous of them, they, people often say on social media or tell somebody, yeah, you an eagle, you need to fly. Don't be hanging out down there with them pigeons because all they eat is junk off the ground. You an eagle, you soar up, you hunt your prey, and you go do what you got to do. But thank you for that story, bro. Thank you for that story. So with that being said, uh, let's talk about what's going on in the world over the past week. Have you been able to catch what's going on in the world? I have been keeping abreast of everything that's going on out there because right now with the pandemic, I don't have a chance to go outside. Okay. All right. So let's start with what the matter of fact, let's start with what you and your beautiful bride were talking about when I first got here when we talked about the pandemic. And that's Aaron Rodgers. Right. You've been keeping up with that? Uh, I have. And, uh, you know, uh, in life, uh, so goes the shepherd, so goes the flock. Mm -hmm. And this man was the head of a flock of other gentlemen who were getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. But he was not truthful. He was deceitful. Mm -hmm. And in his deceit, he even got himself sick. Yep. But, you know, it's a shame that this man is as, as learned as he is, and he takes a medication that was meant for animals. Mm. And he was okay with that, but he wouldn't take a medication that was developed by scientists that was meant for man. So now what do we do? Well, his credibility doesn't mean anything because he got more money than all of us. Yeah, that's true. 
So at the end of the day, that little three hundred thousand dollars or whatever they took from him was like thirty five dollars to him. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, again, he is the shepherd, and people will try to look the other way, but the sheep see what's going on, mm-hmm. and I think that's where it's going to come. See, eventually, his team members are not going to trust him, and his leadership is going to suffer for that. Right. Right. Well. Since this is the My Thing Is This podcast, let me let you know, my thing is this. You're absolutely right, Mm -hmm. though. He is the shepherd. Uh, He he led by a bad example. And he lied. He flat out lied. And so I watched how the media portrayed what he did compared to how they were treating Kyrie Irving. Right. They were killing Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. I mean, people like Stephen A. Smith and these other cats was like, he's selfish, he's this, he's that. And what Kyrie did was he said, listen, I had an opportunity to make a choice. I made my choice. And then I was given assurances before the season started that I would be um, given an exemption to be able to play. He said, well, when the season started, I was told I can't have that exemption. So now I have to go back and I have to regroup. And he said, I have to now think about things. And for a long time, he didn't say nothing. While everybody was out there eviscerating this cat. And he finally spoke up, and that's what he said. But I find it ironic that the main one that was dogging him out is actually a huge fan of Aaron Rodgers. That's Stephen A. Smith. Mm -hmm. And so we watched this. And so Jay Williams, who played at Duke, is on the the KJM show in the morning with uh, Max Kellerman, um... Keyshawn Johnson and himself. It's called KJM. Key, J, and Max. Mm-hmm. And he was, Jay Will was, was calling Steve Smith out, Stephen A. Smith out. He was like, listen, if you can have the same energy that you have for Kyrie, you got to have it for Aaron Rodgers. But here's the funny thing about Aaron Rodgers. And I'm not sure if you saw, he went on the Pat McAfee show. Pat McAfee is the former punter, I think, that played for the Colts. Um, and he's got his own show. So he went on Pat McAfee's show, oh, mm-hmm. and tried to defend himself. Said, you know, he's chained away from the woke mob and the flat earthers, which was a dig at Kyrie because, you know, Kyrie had a big thing about right. talking about the earth was flat. And then he went on there and basically didn't really apologize and then tried to quote Dr. King. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting up here saying to myself, this dude done lost his mind, man. You're going to try to quote Dr. King you're going to come on there and not really apologize. You're going to say that you're the smarter, you're a very cerebral guy. What is all, I mean, what do you make of all that, though? Well, this is a man also who has uh, cut ties with his own family. Uh, he doesn't even get along with his own family. And right now, they're speaking out against him. So his credibility is shot anyway. But by the same token, if he threw a touchdown pass today, everybody everybody forget about it. Well, yeah, because they play Seattle today, and Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I find interesting about that is is that he went on the virus list, he's now back, and it's it's just interesting to me that he's going to be back in the fold and nothing really happened to him. Right. And my thing is this. Something should have happened to him because Green Bay, the team actually ate the fine. They ate the $300,000, I believe. They did. So he should have been suspended for some games because he lied. He stood up in front of everybody and lied. Said, well, I'm immunized. They let everybody believe that he yeah. was vaccinated. So that means that 
all the players, the Kirk Cousins of the world, the, the Lamar Jacksons of the world, and these other cats out here who don't have the vaccine, they have to go through all these extra protocols. Right. He was in his teammates' face. He was doing all this stuff. He exposed so many people. But, of course, it's the NFL. It's right. big business. Oh, that's like you said. If you throw a touchdown, it's good. It's about the money. Right. And so, you know, for me, my thing is this. He should have been treated – he should have been suspended at least two or three games. He should have had at least five hundred to a million dollars taken from his check. He he should have faced some very serious penalties because he put a lot of people at risk and he disobeyed the NFL protocols. Yes, but the NFL knew, and Green Bay knew he wasn't really vaccinated, so they just as culpable too. Exactly. You know, it, it's it's a lot of uh, people who are in high positions and uh, positions of leadership that. Uh, end up in situations where their uh you know their their whole accountability is about winning a game and uh if if it's all about winning a the game then do they teach fair play that was that when i was growing up you had to learn how to win and lose and you had to have fair play involved in it but now with all the money involved anytime you put that much money on the table there's an opportunity for someone to go to the left. And that's what we're having right now. Now, the, the, the other thing, Troy, was that young man who did the shooting and his, uh, his performance on the stand the other day was just outstanding. What, do you, what, did, what did you think about that? That was the most phony thing I ever seen. He, he, uh, you know, at least have one tear. But anytime you cry for as long as he did and didn't even have to have a tissue and nobody even offered him one, it showed you that the theatrics. But again, he this is an opportunity for that lawyer to get him some stripes. And anytime you're going to be dealing with Crum on the other side, he's going to come at you. And the thing about it is he's a man who's going to tell the truth in your face. But with all the stuff that's been done, you know, Young man with an automatic rifle, his mama takes him across state lines to go and defend somebody else's property. You know, you're going to send your uh, underage child with a, with a weapon out there. And it showed, uh, it, was a, it was a good learning experience, Troy, because it showed how there is two different systems. And, and, and even in our politics today, how in the hell can we win if we fighting each other? That's true. And I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up because, and I'm glad you segued into that case. Um, I happened to see, I was on YouTube the other day, and I saw the video, the YouTube video was entitled Judge Screams at Prosecutor uh, in the Kenosha case. Something like that. Right. And I watched the video, and it was basically the prosecution what they were doing, they were trying to lay the groundwork to have him to have him impeached. So, what he did, what he was doing was, he said, he said, is it legal for you to use deadly force if someone's jumping on top of a car? Mm -hmm. No. He went down like nine different things, right? And you could see the defense squirming in their seats, begging to say something, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the judge finally got fed up and got real pissed off with the with the prosecutor and said, listen, stop that. He said, we already talked about this behind closed doors and you weren't you weren't supposed to be doing this. Mm -hmm. He was like, well I think I have a right 
to, to, to impeach this guy if I want to. And he tried to go on, and the judge really just came down on him real hard. He really though. did. But, but here's the thing, and my thing is this. What is the penalty for you infusing yourself into something that didn't have anything to do with you? You live in another state. Right. Then you take an assault weapon that you ain't supposed to have into that state, defending property that ain't yours, and then you're saying to the prosecutor that if someone destroys someone's property that's not mine, I, I, I can't apply deadly force. You can only apply deadly force in self-defense. Right. And that's where the prosecutor was going. Right. But they kept cutting. They, 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 they shut him down. Because my thing is this. If you infuse yourself in something that ain't, ain't doesn't have anything to do with you, you should there should be some sort of statute or some sort of law in place that will hold you accountable for that. Right. Because if he doesn't go, if he if he doesn't cross the state line and doesn't do anything, then those three gentlemen are not injured, shot, or whatever it is happened to him, they're not even harmed. If they are harmed, it's by somebody else, but it's not by him. Mm-hmm. And you can't do, you just can't do that. And then the other thing too is you gotta, as you're prosecuting him, you have to prosecute his mother. Right, exactly. She you was... have to prosecute his mother for taking him to be involved in this. Right. Now, you said something very poignant earlier about the two sides of justice i believe that wholeheartedly but i also believe that the and this is my personal beliefs alone and i got to make this disclaimer on this podcast that the views of troy samson don't reflect the views of anybody else but troy samson <laughs> but um i believe that there's there's always been two sets of laws in this country even though there's supposedly one under the books it's how you apply it and what's written. And a lot of times, in a lot of cases, and they've done, you've seen on social media, oh, where you'll have, they, they did a story of a, two young men, opposite color, same criminal record with the points. Yes. Did the same exact crimes on their records. Right. One got 20 years, the other one got three. Right. There's nothing, there's nothing different about them except for they don't look the same. They don't have the same skin color. Right. They're same age, same points in the system because I think they get points in the system now. Same record, whole nine. And they did the exact same crime, but the melanated person got twenty years, and the unmelanated person got like two or three or something like that. Well, try what that's called is justice, and and just us. So some people get justice, and we get just us. So, as at, at, at the end of the day, Troy, <clears throat> the ability uh, to stand up as a man is going to be something that we're going to have to all be called to. And we're going to have to all have some kind of beliefs. And, and if we don't believe in something, we're going to fall for anything. So, when we have a jury of peers and only one of them <laughs> look like you, is that really a jury of peers? Uh, if we get into a situation where the it, the video evidence shows that uh, the people were trying to take this man's weapon, this young man's weapon, and I feel as though that's going to be very critical in, in, in this whole thing, 
uh, he says that he was trying to protect himself in a place that he shouldn't have been in at the first place. But I think that's going to be the key point right there is when they, they tried to snatch his weapon out of his hands. So, again, we're going to know real soon, Troy. It's coming up. And, and, and I think that's where they, they get really technical with the law. They know how to get technical with the law in a lot of instances, I believe. This is my personal belief. Right. And that's where they get real technical. Because then they'll say, well, he has a right to move free about the country. But common sense says you should have never been in Wisconsin in the first place. Correct. But they'll say, well, he has the right to move around as he so sees fit and so on and so forth. Well, and then and then what'll happen is is if him having a firearm is not illegal in Wisconsin, but illegal in the state that he came from, then they'll say, well, this happened in Wisconsin. The other state has nothing to do with this. This, this is a Wisconsin trial. So they'll use all kinds of loopholes exactly. and, 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 and strategic talk and code, such and such code 400.26.a.c.4. <laughs> yeah, they'll use all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, my thing is this. It's, it's just, it is what it is. And, and it, it, it took eight minutes and 46 seconds the last time we had a major trial where people actually had a chance to really see it and they still was trying to find a way for as 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 the one of the guys that was on one of the law shows he's a former detective with a new york accent as former officer Derek chauvin <laughs> they they were still trying to find a way a loophole mm-hmm. to get him out right and you know i i, I believe it should have been more time um with at least first chance at parole, at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is the justice system that we live with, that we, that's, that's in this country, and we live with, and we're a part of. And unfortunately, this is what we have to do, and this is what we have to go through. Well, so, Troy, when, uh, when this happened, uh, I had a friend uh, that was a Caucasian uh, who was one of my sergeants that worked for me when we were in the Army. And I, I was talking to her about this case, and she's from Minnesota, and she lives right there where it happened. And she actually told me that she felt as though uh, uh, the killing was justified because he was a bad person and he had done some bad things. But I was trying to get her to understand, even if a person has a criminal web, uh, record, uh, he cannot be tried on the streets and given justice by a, a vigilante who's going to take his life. So, uh, in, in other words, she felt as though uh, his criminal record justified him losing his life. And I'm so glad I had a chance to intervene with her and explain to her that uh, just because a person has uh, done crimes, uh, does not uh, give an uh, authority figure the authority to take their lives. But uh, you know that you know you know who that only applies to, right? Well, I do. Know. You know who that only applies to. So, you know, just like give an example. You talked about your your, your part of your background is um, uh, substance abuse treatment. Correct. Correct. So <laughs> it's funny when. The heroin epidemic broke out, right? Right. 
And they started seeing people that didn't look like us asleep in a van with a three-year-old strapped in the, in the car seat and the two adults up front knocked out because they were high or whatever they were on. Right. And you started seeing the demographic of it change and how widespread it got in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. One of the things, I think, I forgot the name of the, the, the female congressperson or senator, stood up, on, stood up on the hill in session and said, why are we not treating this heroin epidemic like we treated the crack epidemic? You, you criminalize everybody during the crack epidemic, right. but now you, America needs help. Mm -hmm. We're sick. We're, we're all these things. And so, I, 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 <laughs> it, well, incarceration without rehabilitation is what was going on mm -hmm. there. Incarceration in is is not a way of getting a new human being to come out here acting a different way. All it does is teach us how to be uh, super criminals. That's all that does. But when it happened, where uh, it started to get out in the suburbs, well, Troy, I've had I've, I've had guys that were working on bridges here in Maryland. And uh, this guy actually told me what they did on their lunch break. He would get everybody's money, and he would go into inner city Baltimore, down around Lexington Street Market, and he would purchase heroin and take it back to men who were working on building a bridge in the state of Maryland. And this is how they built the bridge after lunch, because they was all full. But by the same token, the monies that are available to this uh, to rectify this bad deed of, of, of intoxication is, is money that's being spent and, and, and the people are not taking advantage of it. And now that they got this new stuff out here that'll kill you in a minute, uh, people are, have to do a, a lot of soul searching. You talking about with the fentanyl? Fentanyl, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, based on your experience, and I'm glad we segued you to that because that's a perfect segue. Because I... You know, we got Hulu TV, and, and my wife kept telling me, you got to watch Snowfall. You got to watch Snowfall, right? So I finally binge-watched Snowfall. And Snowfall, I don't know if you're familiar with, is about this young black kid out in South Central L.A. It's basically telling you the story of how drugs got pushed into our neighborhoods. Correct. Through this, you know, it, it, this kid is part of that story. But you can see how the CIA and everybody was involved, right? right. So my question to you, based on your experience, right, whether it's crack, heroin, powder cocaine, alcohol, what is it that triggers in somebody's mind when they take these substances that causes them to become addicted? What, what, what happens is uh, it, it affects the pleasure part of the brain. And what happens is over a, a, a period of time, these addicts get to where they desire a certain feeling. And actually, they will uh, search for this feeling over and over, and, and, some, and most of them say that they never get that feeling again after that first blast. But by the same token, these same drugs that are coming here into this United States of America, uh, it's not, we are a minority. We are not the, the majority. But when they did the social action for this, they put people away. They, put them, they locked them up in cages and kept them for years and years. But now, if you get a marijuana card, you can go get you some marijuana. And they are, they are popping out all, all over the place. But the thing about an addict, uh, 
addict will accept information from someone who got it from the state pen before they will accept information from somebody who got it from Penn State. Do you hear me screaming? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So it's that initial blast that they're actually chasing. Over and over. Over and over and over again. Okay. Wow, that's interesting because I, I, always, I always wondered about that. So my question is, so what separates the, the hardcore addict that just gives up everything, that ends up homeless, ends up stealing – you know, their grandmama's TV and stealing everything and just living, just being so hooked on that from what they call the functional crackhead yeah, or, I, or, or, and, or addict. I'm glad you brought that up because there's no such thing as a functional addict because each addict is one, one shot away from devastation. And what happens is they can function until something happens. And their way of dealing with adversity is get high. They had a song came out. The guy said, I could have went to school and I could have passed, but I got high. But see, what happens is it's now a, a, a family thing. Addiction is not just a personal thing. It affects the whole family. Right. So if, if, if little Johnny is getting high, then his little sisters and everything are going to be uh, involved in that also, and eventually they're going to want to try it. Uh, by the same token, uh, incarceration is not uh, stopping people from using. Right. But Troy, they, they, they get on their feet, and we tell them, don't get into any relationships early in your recovery. Mm-hmm. And... If one person, uh, it tickles me when they try to go into recovery together. Oh, we go. Let's go. Let's go get sober. If one of them fall, the other one's gonna be right with him. Mm. And the other thing about this, the, this whole population is, it's it's like they want to pull everybody else down with them. Mm. And the best thing you can do, and it's hard when it's your family. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is to give them love from afar. Because mm-hmm. if you allow yourself to be pulled in, mm-hmm. junky tears can make you reach into your pocket and give them money. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, this is part of their survival. Right. And 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 if you call that survival, it's 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 really not survival, it's just existing. Right. Mm-mm-mm. But Birds of a feather again. An addict is the only person I know who will steal your stuff and help you look for it. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a short break here real quick just to grab a sip. So just hold on and we'll be right back. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by you our listeners, and by the mighty man himself, God. Thank you for your support, and thank you, Lord, for making this possible. Now I'm back to the show. All right, all right, all right, all right. We are now back. My man Big O is taking an extended break. He'll be right back, but I'll keep chatting it up with you, chatting and chewing up with you. Um, Like what you heard so far? Hit the like and subscribe button. And uh, fascinating information, fascinating topic. Sharing with my man, Big O. 
um, who's got a wealth of knowledge. He's, he's an OG. He speaks from the heart. He speaks true. He brings truth to life. I'm so just, I'm just so grateful to have someone like him in my life that I can tap, tap into as a resource that's available. If I need to call, reach out to him, talk to him, get some words of wisdom, I can do that. And so I'm truly grateful for that. And um, we'll continue this conversation. But before we bring my man Big O back, I just want to tell you, um, today is a good day. Every day is a good day. You know, don't be dismayed by what's in front of you because the devil is always busy and always trying to play tricks on you. And just know that you are loved and you are blessed and that what happens today is only a season and we all live through seasons and we all go through trials and tribulations. And we know that those things are what they are. You know, we just have to stay diligent and stay faithful in what we do. If it's a walk with Christ like me, you stay faithful in your walk, read your word every day, pray, reach out to God, do the things that are necessary to keep your, keep your mind straight. If it is meditation, then you meditate each day. You do what you need to do each day to make sure that, you know, you're keeping your mind straight. Develop a routine and a habit. Wake up in the morning and read a book. Stretch, meditate, make sure you put the things in your body that you need to put in your body to keep your mind straight. A healthy, a healthy body means a healthy mind, and with a healthy mind, all things are possible because your body's healthy and your mind is healthy and you're ready to go and tackle this, 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 this thing called life each day. So I just wanted to share that to you, share that with you. And so we got my man Big O back. Yeah, Welcome good. back, sir. Well, thank you very much. So, yeah, so talking about the addiction thing, and, and it's really profound and really something that has, you know, been around for such a long time. But historically, though, man, it, it just boggles my mind that we have gone into something and something's really been put on us that we were never really raised in and in, 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 and really here for you know you OG bro you you've been around you've been around for a long time bro so you know what's going on and you know what how things were way way back in the day yeah well this this started uh, actually what happened was during the uh, the time of building the con uh, transcontinental railroad uh, they had Chinese over here and the Chinese uh, were working on the railroad with the uh, the white man. And uh, as they were working, the white man started to notice that these Chinese uh, were taking these different kind of uh, uh, medicinals, which turned out to be opium. And they will be able to work longer and work faster. And, uh, and so they ended up wanting to discredit these people because they couldn't understand how these people were doing what they were doing. Uh, historically, you go all the way back to Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola had cocaine in it mm -hmm. back in the day. My mother was addicted to Coca-Colas. Wow. She would send me to the store and make sure I got her a Coke every day. And they had some big bottles of them back in the day because mm -hmm. I'm 72 years old. Right. But uh, those were the kind of things. Uh, then I, I'm going back further than that. Uh, during the time of growing up in the Baptist church, right. uh, a lot of the women in the Baptist church were taking Valium. 
mm. uh, to calm them down. Right. Uh, during the 60s, Mama's Little Helper was Valium. Mm. And these housewives were having a sip of wine and taking a, a, a little Valium, and they were, they were chilling out. Right. And historically, man has, over time, looked for some type of recreational way that he could change what? His feelings, mm. you know, mm. and see some people have more feelings than others. Right. And those are called unstable extroverts. Oh, okay. Uh, but when you have these feelings and you medicate your feelings, then you're in a situation where when the medication wears off, you turn into somebody else. And I love I love that because oh, Troy, right now people are talking about I I identified this I identified that right and that tickles me to death <laughs> when uh, somebody identifies as something where society is quite obvious that that's not what you are right but I'm not talking about the gay stuff and stuff like that I'm talking about people who think they are something that they are not right. And again, we got the Karens of the world that are out there right now thinking they have to police the whole. That happened to me. Really? I, I, I'm, I'm a uh, uh, Vietnam veteran. Uh, I uh, am a cancer survivor uh, from Agent Orange. And uh, on the outside, I look fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I've had some hard times. Right. And I have a. Um, a sticker that a uh, 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 placard that I can use in my car for parking. Right. I pulled up. I was at a liquor store. In fact, when I used to drink, and uh, I pulled up to the liquor store and I parked in a handicapped parking lot. Mm -hmm. This white lady comes out and she says, uh, "You may not want to park there because uh, they're 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 watching those those spots right there, and you don't have a uh, handicap uh, license." I said, uh, I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. I, I I went on in the store and I thought about what I should have said. Right. Because it was obvious that she had stereotyped me mm -hmm. into something she didn't even know no, no, nothing about. Right. So when I, I, I figured out, I snapped when I got inside. So I came back out, I'll go confront her and tell her. Right. Ma'am, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I'm 80% disabled right now. And that placard that's hanging off my mirror right there is all I need to park right Right. Troy, was she trying to help me? No, no, she wasn't trying to help you. Yeah. yeah she, she wasn't trying to help yeah. you. So, so these are the kind of people that we meet. Mm -hmm. Tell you one more story. Troy, I was the uh, nurse manager in Orlando, Florida, at, at Florida Hospital. Right. I was the first African-American to ever be a nurse manager in that hospital. Wow. And uh, it was uh, right across the street from Bob Hope's hospital right there in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And uh, a man tried to commit suicide with his two sons in the car. He put the pipe in there and tried to do the carbon monoxide. Right. Uh, the two little boys died. Mm. He woke up. So when they brought him into my hospital... There's a thing called a baker rack in Florida, and I can baker rack him for up to 72 hours and keep him against his will. Right. I just wanted to make sure that he was going to be stable overnight, and then the police were going to pick him up the next morning. We had everything all set up. Right. Troy, I walked outside with him and the head of security, and uh, I get outside the 
TV station is there because this is sensational. So the TV station there, I got on a bow tie mm -hmm. and a white lab coat. I'm the only one dressed like that. Right. I walk out with the head of security. We turn the man over to the authorities. And a white man came out of the crowd and walked straight to me and asked me, where do we park the cars? Wow. I said, sir, by the way that I'm dressed, what gave you the, uh, the, the, the even thought that I was the one that was going to be parking the cars? Right. But that's the way it happened down there. Was that called on camera? No. Okay. Not in those days. Okay. Uh, but no, I mean by the news station that was there. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was caught on camera. Wow. Yeah, and mm -hmm. the head of security gave me a look because he knew that by me being the highest ranking African American in in that situation, right, that I would be I was being disrespected. Right. So I went to talk to the NAACP in Orlando, Florida, and uh, I volunteered to do some public speaking. Mm -hmm. Lady said, "What? What? Where do you live? What part of town?" I said, "I live in East Orlando." She said, "Oh, I'm sorry, you live on the wrong side of town." And and her whole thing was, geographically, I'm leaving you out of this because you don't live in a black neighborhood. So that was one of the things that ran me out of Orlando, Florida, and back up here. Cause they wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, big O. Hold up, big O. So let me get this straight. So you had an a bias incident happen to you. You go to the local NAACP for guidance. Because you don't live in a predominantly black area, they told you no. I was omitted from any discussion because I didn't live on the right side of town. But the hospital I work for uh, by the same token, was using me every day to go out there into the community mm -hmm. and to speak at these high schools. And uh, I'm going to tell you, when I walk into that high school with a nice suit on and stuff like that, and I introduce myself as O.D. Lewis, mm -hmm. it, 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 it changed. These people wanted to talk. They were, they were astounded by a six-foot-seven man who was an RN and things like that. Mm -hmm. But... What happened was there was an incident. And in this incident, it was uh, in the same town. Uh, it was Oak, Osceola. Okay. And uh, the there was an incident where a school bus driver had a, a bus load of kids, mostly black mm -hmm. and Mexican. And this school bus driver ran across the railroad track when he when she knew that she should have stopped. Right. And they got hit. Ooh. So I got a phone call. This is when cell phones had just come out. I had the cell phone that day. And, and, and the head of Florida Hospital called me up and said, can you go to this town and uh, see if you can help down there? There's a possibility there's going to be a race riot. Mm -hmm. I said, why me? And the head of that hospital told me, "You're the only black that we have that's in a position to take care, to to do anything about this." Troy, they, they sent me down there, drove down there in my car, I got there. The head of security was already there, and he saw me. He said, "Big O, I'm glad to see you." And I said, "What do y'all expect for me to do?" Mm -hmm. He said, "These black and Spanish parents are trying to get into the emergency room." to harm the bus driver. Mm. So I said, I, let me go ahead and do it like this. Give me a room, give me some coffee, 
some danishes and donuts and things like that and give me a, a secretary. So right. they gave me a room and they gave me a Red Cross volunteer, a little old white lady. Mm-hmm. Troy, when, when, when I'm standing there in a bow tie and, and, and a lab coat and I'm the only one that looks like that, they walk up to the Red Cross volunteer and think she's in charge. Wow. Because she was white. Right. So she says, no, Big O is in charge. Right. So what I did was I went on and did some problem solving. I found out which hospitals they sent these kids to. Mm-hmm. I, I gave the people something to, uh, you know, kind of uh, occupy their time, some juices and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it ended up at the end of the day, uh, if I would not have showed up, they would have probably did more than that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was that. That's a that was a very difficult time. <laughs> you got your children on a school bus, and the person, the professional, the adult that's supposed to do what they're supposed to do, didn't do it, and it results in your child either getting hurt or killed. Yeah, I, I can't necessarily blame those parents, yeah. but it's ironic though that you were put in these situations where people would make these assumptions that you're not who you are. Yeah. What What about your parents? I mean, you in a lab coat or a suit with a bow tie on. Troy, I, I was a retired Army officer. Right. I was a t- retired major from the United States Army. But all they saw was right. me and my color. Yep. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, uh, I had to go home and do some, some soul searching about myself. Right. But I got a million of these, these stories like that because it's, it's life. Right. And if you allow that to hold you back, Mm -hmm. then you are not meeting your destiny. Right. You cannot allow them to make you take steps backwards with all the efforts that have been made uh, in in moving us forward. Right. Yeah, no weapon formed against yourself prosper. Down in Texas, where I'm from right now, Troy, 60% of abortions in the United States are done by white women. Did you hear me? 60% of the abortions are done by white women. But by the same token, in the early 80s, some of the politicians, the white politicians, stated that more white babies need to be born. Mm-hmm. All right? You follow me, huh? So so, let me, so let's circle back. So wait, 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 wait. So let's circle back to uh-huh. that stat, uh-huh. right? Did they quantify that stat with context, meaning... Dig deeper as to why they were getting abortions? Uh, the context was not. It was just the numerical. Okay, okay. And so, so they're 60%. So now when, when a politician tells these uh, white politicians that we need to have more white babies born, well, there's so many things that are going to be involved in this right, right now. Interracial marriages. Uh, you got uh, uh, an incarcerated population. Uh, you got all these different things that are going to be part of this, why uh, these people are going to have these incidents like this. Mm-hmm. But if we don't understand the concept that the governor down in Texas right now is trying to stop abortions, not because black people are having them, but because white women are having them. Mm. So... Here they are trying to control somebody else's womb, mm-hmm. and they don't want the interracial marriages because they don't want them interracial babies. Right. So 
they want these white women to continue to have these babies mm -hmm. so that they can continue to be a minority, um, and the majority. Right. It, it goes all the way back to China. Some years back, they said, I only have two children. Mm -hmm. But now they're not ha they don't have enough women. You know, they got too many women and not enough men. Right. So right now, if you're over 27 years old and you're a woman in those kind of cultures and you're not married, then you're considered to be an old maid right. at the age of 27. You know, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. Because I, <laughs> I remember years ago, uh, it came on. I don't know if it was ESPN. It came on some show where they talked about the so-called Southern Bell, right? Mm -hmm. And there was this one particular young, college-educated uh, Caucasian girl who was the center of the story. And she kind of let the cat out of the back. She said, the whole Southern Bell thing is, she said, when we're birthed and raised in our household, especially if our moms are Southern Bells, so-called Southern Bell, generational Southern Bells. Mm -hmm. We are taught to go to school, get a great education, then go to college. And typically, the college is one of those SEC schools. Mm -hmm. Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Ole Miss, mm -hmm. um, uh, Mississippi State, um, all those schools that make up the Southeastern Conference mm -hmm. from an athletic perspective, those are the schools that those girls had to go to. They were told to get the education, get a degree, and then by the age of 25, be married and having children with another gentleman that came from one of those SEC schools. That's called station. And what happens is you, you, you they, they encourage them to marry within their own station. Mm. So what happens is that's how you get generational wealth. Right. And that's how, and, 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 you know, when we sit around and pe people talk about generational wealth, how can I talk about generational wealth with a man who don't even have life insurance? Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. the concept doesn't go. You don't even have life insurance. Right. So that's, called, so that's called station, huh? Station, yeah. You, well, I mean, you're you, OG. That's why you big old OG. <laughs> but you, 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 you're born at, at a station in life. Right. Now, your education can make you ascend higher. Right. Uh, your incarceration can make you ascend lower. Right. So it's all about what station you are. And you, you, even some people marry to increase their station in life. And uh, sometimes that's some unhappy stuff right there because you might have someone who is not equally yoked. Right. And you know, as a religious man, you know that uh, a, a man should be equally yoked mm -hmm. for there to be success. Right. But these type of situations that are going on right now in our face, and that's what it is, Troy. We, we're seeing things, and then you got the authorities that making making you believe that's not what you saw. Right. And we see that every day. So. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's very interesting. <laughs> that is very interesting. Yeah. Man, this has been real, bro. We got to do this again. Yes, sir. We, we got to do, do it again. again. Yeah. For death, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I learn something new every time I talk to you. Um, <laughs> you know, Troy, I remember uh, when y'all had y'all little group and my brother-in-law was trying to get you to. <laughs> 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 that was when I understood. That you can be 
bamboozled and uh, what you see sometimes is not what you get. Right. And if you do not have enough information about a subject, mm -hmm. stay away from it. Right, right. Do some research. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. You know. That's why, you know, that's why I, you know, when I, when I got the idea of doing podcasts, one of the big things was, was to just, not just share my opinions about things that are going on, but just also share information. Right. But you can't share information if you don't know the information. Right. You got to research. You got to do your research. So, you know, one of the things, um, I belong to a group called Davicus as part of the One World Center for Autism down in Prince George, down in Prince George County over in Lanham. And one of the dads and I actually did a podcast one time mm -hmm. called the Davicus Podcast. And I think, and then we just did one episode and that was pretty much, it didn't go anywhere from that. But now that I've gotten set up with the equipment and all the things that I need to be able to do one, I think I may go ahead and, in addition to my thing is this podcast, do a Davicus podcast too, because I got dads that come to my group. Mm -hmm. um, and I can tell you one thing, disability don't know no color. No. That's for sure. No. That is for sure. We had a, a, a dad that came to our monthly Davicus meeting. We have every first Wednesday of the month. He came to our Zoom call, and he uh, doesn't look like me. Mm -hmm. He he doesn't definitely doesn't look like me, but he's also him and his wife are also people of faith, and right. they they serve in a church. He is part of a men's group in his church. His wife is part of something in a church, but they have a child that is on the autism spectrum. Right. Um. And so again, it it, it has no color. Um. But I find, and that's a that that's a totally different topic for a totally different day. I could just share so many stories about that because we've gone through it. Right. With Joshua. Um, and I and I see parents and see the struggle that they're going through with the school systems and everything. But it, it's also from a because it doesn't discriminate against anybody. So you got everybody from the wealthiest in the world down to the poorest in the world that is affected by this. The the challenge that I have though, and I and I'll say this real quick, then I'll get off my soapbox about it is is that the haves hide it, where the have-nots have to rely on public assistance and so they they have not so out there so so the haves uh made into a stigma well the hat well i'll put you like this not all the haves uh -huh. the people like folks like holly robinson pete tony braxton uh jenny mccarthy um ernie ells the pro golfer right uh you got a lot of celebrities that, that have the resources and the means that are actually standing in the gap and fighting and bringing awareness to it but you also have the flip side of that, where you got a lot of people, because they have the money and the wealth, they don't, they keep it, it's like they keep it a secret, it's like a stigma to their family. Right. And so what they do is they can afford to pay speech therapists who charge, or uh, therapists that charge $150, $200 an hour, like it's $25 a session. Right. Because they got the money to do it. And and the one, the one glaring thing I'm talking about with that is John Travolta. For a long time, Nobody knew John Travolta had a son that was on the spectrum until his son Jet died. Right. And the National Enquirer dug into who Jet was mm -hmm. and how did he die. And I remember them, and I remember it to this day. One of the National Enquirer magazines they put out, they still put them things out, showed a picture of him, and they broke the story on it where they showed Jet coming out of some convenience store walking on his tiptoes. Mm -hmm. That's one of the uh, symbols or signs that, a child may be on the autism spectrum because they walk on their tiptoe. Joshua did it. 
a lot of other kids I seen on the autism spectrum walk on their tiptoes and they caught him, they, they the picture showed him walking on his tiptoes and the National Story dug it, National Enquirer dug into it and it came out that he was on the autism spectrum, but the Travoltas never said anything about it. Mm -hmm. They never did anything about it. And so, you know, while parents are struggling to getting public, you know, assistance, um, the school systems are floundering, uh, there's some parents out there that throw money at the problem. Right. And so they don't have to worry about their child going to a public school that has resources that are strapped in terms of speech therapists and special education teachers. They send them to, they either get them private tutoring or send them to a specialty school that costs thirty-five, forty thousand dollars a year. Right. So we had to end up fighting to get Joshua out of the school system in Prince George's County into what they call non-public or private placement, the Harbor School in Annapolis. Mm -hmm. That school is thirty-two thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. But the school system, because they couldn't, we were, they couldn't really support his needs. They ended up paying for it. Oh, okay. That school has a lot of Prince George's County kids mm -hmm. in that school where the school system is paying for it. And special mm -hmm. education is. Real quick, Big O, is one of those things where they don't really want to throw a lot of money at it because it doesn't affect enough people. We live in a rat race. Right. So the the faster you are, the bigger you are as a rat, you get the cheese. Right. If you can't get, if you're not big and strong and fast, you really mean nothing. Left behind. Because that's a, that, that special education, disabilities, and wealth is a totally different podcast because I have a totally different mindset and thought process behind that because I believe and it's just my belief alone my thing is this teachers should walk out of college into six figure salaries because right. of everything that they got to do not only do they have to learn to be a teacher they also have to be a babysitter a therapist a, a disciplinarian and all these things to all these different types of personalities of kids for six to seven hours a day right then teach a lesson Right. So while other countries value education, our country that is probably the richest country in the world is like 20 something in the world in education. Right. What kind of crap is that? So when you have kids out there, it's a have and a have nots. So when you have kids out there that aren't having, that don't have a disability or a learning disability or ADHD or whatever the case may be, that are normal healthy kids that can, can keep up with teaching the standardized tests. Mm-hmm. I've read somewhere in, I think it's China, you see the China or South Korea, where the first four years of a child's education is just free, it's just, they teach them how to learn. Mm -hmm. They don't teach them the material, they teach them how to learn, they, they, they help them to grow and develop. And then I think by year five is when they start getting into the curriculum right. of what they need to learn. Because mm -hmm. I'm reading a book now by this, this, um, this Asian gentleman named Jim Quick, it's called Limitless. It's centered around the movie Limitless. I don't know if you've ever seen it with Bradley Cooper where he takes this drug and all of a sudden it opens up 100% of his brain. Mm -hmm. and he's able to learn all this stuff. Like he learned Portuguese in two days, learned how to play piano in four days and all this kind of stuff where his brain just opened up. And this guy wrote a book that there is no super drug out there like in a movie. Right. But there are things you can do for your brain and habits that you can develop to be able to achieve all you can. And he talked about the education system in this country being a cookie cutter situation where you're 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 not taught active learning, you're taught passive learning. Right. Where you just sit there and just receive the information and you expect to remember it. Whereas um, when you actively engage in education, 
you're putting emotions to a story. You're putting emotions to the context. And when you put emotions to something you want to learn, he's saying that you learn it better. You retain it better when you put emotions to it. Right. So it's just all those things. It's all those things, Big O. Mm -hmm. And again, my thing is, is this, that there's enough money, resources, and everything for this country to be a lot better than what it is. You know, um, I listen to Joe Madison on XM Satellite. The Black Eagle out of WOL Baltimore, but he's on XM Satellite now in 126. And he has a Joe Madison show in the morning. And he had a lady call in. And I'm shifting gears for a second to corporate America and wealth and greed, right? A lady called in. She's got two college-age kids. Both of them are trying to go to college. One is working full-time at a fast food restaurant. She said he was making $8.50 an hour. They bumped him up to ten fifty an hour, right? Mm -hmm. But when they bumped him up to ten fifty an hour, they took twenty hours away from him. Wow! So you know what that means, right? He really didn't get no raise. No, they kept him right there. They kept him. They kept him. All they did was just move him to a higher taxing, uh, a higher where he's getting more taxes taken out now because he's making more money, right. so to speak. But they cut his hours. Yeah. And all they really did. I mean, so it's amazing to me, and I think a lot of people in this country, big old, are starting to wake up to the fact that. Inflation is going up, everything else is going up, but you still want the me to perform at an expert level for twenty dollars an hour. So yeah, fifteen dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. You want me to give expert customer customer service to people out here that we know decade by decade are slowly losing their minds. You want me to give great customer service to them, but you still want to keep me at fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah, but while while you're making billions off of what I do. A lot of people are waking up. Yeah, they're 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 getting the eyesight uh, of of things that are going on that have been going on. Like like they told people lies. They said that uh, your job cannot be done from home. Pandemic came around and they said uh, we want you to do the same job you were doing from home. But this is the same people that told me that the job couldn't be done from home. Right. But. By the same token, when they got these people out of these offices, all of a sudden they didn't have to pay the rent. Uh, they didn't have to uh, keep the maintenance on it. And they didn't have to even have security on it anymore because there wasn't nothing in that building anymore. <clears throat> so they saved money at the end of the day. You know, You know, it's funny. I'm in IT at my job, right? And when the pandemic first hit back in March when they started shutting everything down, March 13th, they sent me home. I haven't been back since. But while we were scrambling, I mean, we were putting in 10, 12 hour days, man, trying to get all our IT systems ready for all these people mm. working from home now, right? So I happened to come across a webinar by these IT professionals, security professionals, operations professionals, and I listened to it. And they, t and they called what they call the black, what they call the pandemic was a black swan event, mm. something that you think could happen. Mm -hmm that you think could never happen, mm -hmm. but it actually did. And that's what they call the pandemic. And so what it did from an operational perspective is risk what you touched on. When everybody got their bearings straight and they sent people at home, I could run down a list of things that have benefited companies. You got more productivity out of people. Mm -hmm. People caught out sick less. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people worked longer hours. Uh, you didn't have to pay rent or lease. You didn't have to pay security. All your operating expenses pretty much dropped off. Right. So big companies like I think it was a Price, Cooper's Waterhouse, the big financial firm, made an announcement on national tele or made a national national news that they're not going back to the office mm -hmm. because they they found that their 
employees were just as productive at home than they were in the office. Right. But you know, those companies that insist on their people coming back, OD, mm-hmm. and my thing is this, I think it's a control thing. Exactly. It's ego and control. Exactly. Because you want to be able to put your thumb on somebody when you feel like walking down the hall and put your thumb on them. When they're at home, you can't necessarily put your thumb on them. Right. But what you don't realize is, is that the amount of work that you're getting out of these people at home far exceeds the amount of work you're getting from them when they would come to the office. Think about it, oh. If every season my allergies flare up and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Where I um I have to um, you can go ahead and adjust your mic if you want to. Um, I have to start taking all kinds of medications and stuff like that. And, um, or otherwise I would get a sinus infection, lead to bronchitis, all that kind of stuff, right? And you know, when your sinus start draining and stuff like that, in the morning you wake up, you don't really feel like it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, I can sleep in the day because I just don't feel like it. Let me pop these medication. And then you either make the decision that I feel bad enough where I ain't going to go to work. Or I feel bad enough to where I'm just going to call out sick. So when the pandemic hit, guess what happens? When you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling the greatest, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to get dressed. You don't, have to, you don't have to take a shower. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to worry about going and dealing with somebody because your, your throat is killing you. Mm-hmm. Having to talk to people that you really don't like, mm-hmm. right? Or deal with people that you really don't like. You don't have to make that commute. You don't have to drop nobody off at the sitter. You don't have to do none of that. So guess what happens? Instead of calling in sick, because of all those things I just said that you don't feel like dealing with, what you would call in sick, we're like, oh, you don't call in sick. Mm-mm. You just drink your tea, you take your medicine, you put your, you stay in your pajamas, and you work at your computer, and then when somebody calls you for a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams call, you get on a Teams call, do what you got to do, that's it. Yeah. And you got your own bathroom. You got your own lunch room, which is your kitchen. Right. You got your all this other stuff you got. And so you're less likely to call out when right. you got those little minor sniffles or aches and pains because half of it is I don't feel good and most people are irritated when they don't feel good. Right. So most people don't want to be around people when they don't feel good. So you're not going to call out. So, you know, that's just, it, it, yeah, you, but you're 100% right. People yeah. realize they were saving a lot of money and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, some jobs you can do that with and some jobs you just can't. But for the most part, those jobs that can. But speaking of that, let me tell you a quick story. There's a guy on Instagram, Big O, that I follow named Dan Price Seattle. Dan Price owns, he's the CEO of a credit card company, credit card processing company he started. They're based out of Portland, Oregon, right? And he came into prominence because and he didn't and it wasn't until now that it finally came up but he did it back in 2015 i come to find out was he changed his business model he said i'm no longer going to force my people to come in at some low entry level salary and have to work their way up so he made the change everybody starting at that company starts at seventy thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. everybody right then he turned around and said I'm going to stop taking my million dollars a year salary and take $70,000 like everybody else is. Mm-hmm. So he, when he did that, right? So fast forward, they were doing well. They're doing fine. People were able to buy houses. And then we get to 2020 and the pandemic hits. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the pandemic hits. Everybody's business has pretty much got bad. Right. 
So the bit the credit card company business kind of took a took a nosedive, right? Which means people had to take a pay cut. Every single employee in that company agreed without hesitation to take a thirty thousand dollar pay cut in order for the company to stay viable. Wow. And everybody did it. Right. And then on top of that, when the pandemic, everything got settled, vaccines started coming and everything started opening back up, business picked back up. Mm-hmm. Guess what Dan Price did? Not only did he put everybody back at their regular salary, the 70000 or more salary, right? But he also gave them the money that they lost taking a pay cut for that amount of time. Wow. He gave it back to them. Man, them people are loyal to him mm-hmm. to no end. Well, his business model is outstanding. He, he's, the, he's the Jerry Maguire of business. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the corporate types they really don't like that. Because mm-hmm. they like to have this big separation between their salary, the 3,000% separation between their salary and the lowest person on the totem pole, or a 300% difference between them and the senior managers. They want to have that and be able to profit off that corporate greed. Right. And he's anti that. He's always posting stuff on Instagram, big O, about corporations and how corporations are greedy. And the former Treasury Secretary at one point, Robert Reich, does the same thing. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book. He did an actual documentary on, I think it was Amazon Prime, about this corporate greed. Mm-hmm. And he's anti-greed too. And so, to me, I don't think there should be a job in America that should be making less than $20 an hour. Right. Because you can't live off of, you know, I saw, I was down in Cambridge yesterday uh, doing some stuff for my, for my mother-in-law. She needed a garage to be power washed, so I did that for her. And so I stopped by my mom. I got done, I took a shower, stopped by my mother's house, right? She had a Dorchester star there, right? And I went to the help wanted section, right? They had a job advertising for, I forgot what it was. And they say the starting salary is $31,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Who is going to live off of $31,000 <laughs> a year in this economy? Yeah, with or without a family. Without, a, Yeah, exactly, with or without a family. Now, if you really break it down, technically, you could probably do it if you start your life off debt-free and don't accumulate no debt. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't accumulate no debt and really have a frugal lifestyle. You might be able to, but you would still have to live at home with your parents. Right. And you can get away with it for a while. Um, but if you really get on your own, you can't do that. Well, Troy, do you agree that uh, young ladies uh, tend to get more mature faster than young men of the same age? I agree. And the thing about this is that every, you know, we are communal. As communal beings, I'm seeing these young ladies uh, starting to choose partners who will be at home playing. Uh, on on a video game and driving her car, and she goes to work. Yes, you know, and I've never understood that. Uh, but certain people will settle, right, so that they don't have to be alone. Yes, unfortunately, that's that's true, and I hear that all the time. Oh, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Um. Yeah, the, the young ladies do mature fast. As a matter of fact, and correct me if I'm wrong because you're in the medical field, but I remember one of the parents that I 
know that has a, a daughter with multiple disabilities, but she works at Children's National Hospital Center. And she's helping families with children with disabilities, and she's been around scientists and doctors. She said part of the reason why girls mature faster than boys and is it starts at the what well, it starts at the gestation process or the pregnancy. What she told me was this. She said, when a woman gets pregnant and is carrying a child, that child begins to develop into a fetus and then develops into a full grown child. And she said, the difference is between boys and girls is at six months, the brain development of girls continues on while the the brain development of boys kind of stops for a few months until birth and then picks back up once they're birthed. Mm -hmm. And she said that that process is why the hippocampus is different between boys and girls and that the girls have a bigger hippocampus, which explains why they're able to have 25 to 40,000 conversations each day, right. how they're able to multitask like uh, they can have a baby on the hip, talking on the phone and cooking food at the same time. Right. Whereas us, <laughs> we got to be, we, it's one thing at a time. And I remember at one of the couples retreat at my church that Paul and I went to uh, a few years ago, Dr. Ron Elmore, um, a couples, uh, Christian man, a couples, uh, couple psychology coach, a marital counseling coach, psychologist, right? He talked about that. And there was one young couple in the crowd that was members of our church and the the wife complained about her husband not doing stuff around the house. And they talked about it a little bit more. And Dr. Ron Elmo summed it up like this big up. He said, imagine this. He said, women are operating on high-speed internet. They're, they're going back and forth between both loads. Men are operating on dial-up. <laughs> You know the old dollar yeah. where we're processing stuff slower. She he said to her, "It's not that he doesn't want to do the honeydew list. It's just that he has to process it different. He has to lay his stuff out. He has to pontificate about it. He has to think about it. He has to Google. It. He has to do all this kind of stuff, and then he will finally move on it. Mm -hmm. Whereas you, on the other hand, you guys. He, he talked. He said you guys are able to cook, clean, talk on the phone." Do all the kids' homework and do all these seven different things at once because you have the more ban you have more bandwidth than we do. Right. That's why it takes a lot of husbands' time to do stuff, and I found that true in my life too. But it's funny because when you talk about the young ladies choosing these young men that are uh, sit at home guys and video games guys because they're just willing to settle. How much do you think, and this question is for you, how much do you think that has to do with the changing of mothering of daughters over the years? Because I believe that kids are like computers. Good data in, good mm -hmm. data out. Bad data in, bad data out. Mm -hmm. And if you are not raised by a woman that mm -hmm. is teaching you certain things, then you're just going to go with whatever is presented in front of you and roll with it. And it could be a situation where some of these young ladies have seen it in their mothers. It's called learned behavior. Right. And what happens with learned behavior is uh, when it doesn't work for you and you continue to do the same behavior, that's when you have problems. You know. Uh, so with this learned behavior, 
it's important that you are able to, number one, find out whether or not it's working and identify that. And then after that, you have to learn some new behaviors if you want to survive. Now, if, you, if, you, if you're learning all these bad behaviors, uh, for instance, uh, one of them people who, I keep it real. Right. Because that's what they heard growing up. And, 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 and they were even just shown what keeping it real is supposed to do. Right. So by the same token, this person get up there keeping it real with his boss, and then all of a sudden he he has a he has a bill, but he does not have a job. <laughs> right. But he's keeping it real. Right. Learn behavior is something. Uh, my wife taught me something early in our marriage. Uh, when you see a little girl, and uh, her hair is all over her head, and, she, and she's not with her mother, but wait until her mother comes around that corner. And 99% of the time, the mother's going to have that same kind of problem. Right. Because that's learned behavior. Right. Uh, with my boys, uh, I, I taught them uh, to wear an undershirt mm -hmm. and never come to the dinner table with a wife beater undershirt on. Right. And I see people wearing that as fashion mm -hmm. walking the streets. Right. But with the learned behavior that I taught these boys, and they accept it. See, you can have learned behavior, but if the patient does not accept that behavior mm -hmm. and want to take it and make it into something that they can function with, right. it's a waste of time. That's that's excellent point. So let's flip that for a second. Mm -hmm. Let's get off the young ladies and go back to the young men sitting in front of, sitting in front of the video game, not working, and just doing that. Obviously, you know, and you've seen it yourself, that our home has been fractured because we don't have enough strong fathers in the household. Right. Um, I've seen it. I've, I've, I've listened to the stories of brothers in our men's group at church, you know, with the daddy pain and so on and so forth and all that. I never grew up with a dad. But at the same time, I still, I think I still had enough male role models around me, you know, um, to keep me in line and keep me in check and the number one thing that my mother taught me also despite not having a father around was to do the right thing mm -hmm. right from wrong right we got that instilled in us from birth to probably almost teenager mm -hmm. so we had the tools in front of us um but i think we because we have a lot of fractured homes now mm -hmm. where a lot of these kids are basically raising themselves a lot of them are being a lot of our young men are being born to single mothers. Um, and I, I can't necessarily say we got some brothers out here that just don't want to take responsibility for one reason or another. I'm not going to say all, because mm -hmm. you've been in your son's life, I'm in my son's life. You know a lot of other brothers that's in their children's lives. Right. Um, so it's just our kids are kind of left to their devices. I think it's just a migrant of things. I think one of the things that hasn't helped here recently is uh, this digital thing that's going on with so much access and so much information coming to everybody. Um, that book I'm reading with Jim Quick, he, he, he did a, in his foreword, it was written by a doctor who's actually a psychiatrist. I think I forgot the name, uh, the guy's name, but he talked about there's this, this digital, uh, what do you call it? Digital dementia mm -hmm. is what he called it, where we have relied so much on technology where we don't go and learn stuff anymore. We just go to the technology and say, Google, what is this? As opposed to 
allowing ourselves to take the process of learning, like reading books. Yeah, uh, learning somebody's phone number. Right. No, just put it, put it in, put it, just put it in my phone. Right. You know, and and in the old days, you know, you you learned. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you had timetables, you had things like right. that. Boy, I tell you, Troy, they, they have some stuff out there that's called order of operations. I had never been taught that before in my life mm. about mathematics. Right. And and, and and the things that we learn, and, and, and as I say, I'm 72 years old, mm-hmm. and I still like technology, but when, I, when it comes to my peers, it's probably about 2% of us right. that are knowledgeable of this kind of stuff. and. And even try to, uh, some people still want to flip phone and get mad at you <coughs> because you offered to them a digital phone. They still want that flip phone because mm-hmm. they don't want the challenge mm-hmm. of learning new technology. Right. And those are the kind of people who get angry when uh, they want to apply for a job and the job says you have to apply online. Right. Uh, you, you know, you you want to get a, a booster shot, but you got to get your appointment online. And these people with these flip phones are not having that much uh, uh, luck with those kind of technologies because they're not willing to try to learn. You know. Yeah, the technological advances that come, and you got a lot of people out there oh, that are scared. Of, a lot of people are scared of the technology. I I believe, but it all comes down to especially with the digital stuff and we moving on to technology, we get the smartphones and stuff like that. The distractibility of them with everything that's going on and the proliferation of information has caused us to go into, I think, what they call digital overload or information overload. Mm-hmm. It's just so many different things, so many different sources, this, that, and the other. And the number one thing I believe that is missing in a lot of what's going on, especially the bad stuff that we're seeing these days, is called self-discipline. Yeah. You have to self-discipline yourself not to stay on your phone all day looking at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or whatever. Self-discipline yourself not to play with your app. Not self-discipline to put that phone down when you're working. Self-discipline yourself to eat right. Self-discipline yourself to do the right thing. Self-discipline yourself not to be on the video game all day when you're out here working. Right. Self-discipline yourself to learn a new skill, learn a new trade. I think the education system in this country needs to be revamped. Because so my thing is this. If all we're doing is teaching a test, then what are they really learning? What are our children really learning if all you're doing is teaching to meet standards, MSA, uh, all these other performance tests you got to do as you go through our school? You know, I, 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 I thought about that too, but you know what really got me was the fact that when I was taking these standardized tests as a young person, I did not understand that it was racially biased I did I didn't understand that concept right so all I did when I brought in there was my mindset is I'm gonna do the best I can with this test right I did not know I was set up already right you know so I had to learn techniques right I had to learn techniques early uh, I had an incident uh, I lived in a um, uh, a segregated situation until I was a teenager and my father <clears throat> bought a home in a uh, predominantly white neighborhood right. before they took white flight. Right. And uh, the, the sport of the neighborhood was for the young white uh, teenagers to try to catch me and beat me up. Right. 
I was the yard bar for the local uh, Ma and Pa store. Mm -hmm. So I cut their yard and everything. Went in the store one day, and outside the front door were about five white boys that was ready to whoop my butt. <coughs> the merchant saw what was going on. He let me out the back door. Right. He didn't go out there and get involved in it. He let me out the back door. Right. And I took off running. I got about two blocks away, and I, 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 I was pissed off so much, I started screaming to them, hey, here I am, and took off running. Right. So they never did catch me. The next year, I'd been there for a year, I started to be in the paper for uh, playing baseball and basketball. Now, all of a sudden, these same young, young white boys who wanted to beat me up want me to play on their baseball team. Right. So now, I joined their baseball team, and it's only two blacks on the team, me and Oliver, and we playing against our buddies that we go to church with, that we go to high school with, that we, you know, that we grew up with. Right. But I'm on this white team. Right. And that was my transition into being around white folks. Everybody in my school was black. Mm -hmm. All the teachers from the elementary school all the way up to high school. I went to a predominantly black college, Purview A&M. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, the second year I was there, they start to integrate by going down to San Antonio, Texas, and get every white-colored Mexican they could find and gave them a scholarship or a grant and aid. Wow. So now we bring in a different shade, and there was one white boy. I'm going to tell you what his name is. His name was Bobby Freddy. Hmm. And here it is. I graduated in 1978, mm -hmm. and this happened when I was in college the first time around, about 1970. 69 mm. when they started to bring uh non-black people but they didn't even do that right they gave them the best jobs on campus with the work study mm. uh they gave them uh grants when they everybody else had a loan right you know but that was part of the transition mm -hmm. and being there and seeing this transition i had mixed emotions about the whole thing right you know and this same school right now, you know, they'll send me a letter, send me some money, you know, why don't you do, why don't you, I don't have that love for you. Right. You know. Mm -hmm. But we as a, a nation of people that look like me and you, we got to learn how to get out of our own way. Right. So tell, so, so, so what does that look like? It, it looks like, uh, the, it looks like teaching, not preaching. Mm-hmm. It looks like uh, problem solving by coming up with different techniques and learning new techniques. It also looks like identifying history. Right. But they don't want to teach that. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a shame that they don't understand that even though they were not uh, born when all this happened, it happened. Right. And just by not discussing it, you know, that's not going to make it go away. When them fools got out there and said, well, let's tear these, uh, these statues. Them statues didn't have a damn thing to do with none of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Them statues didn't change nothing. They took all them statues down. Right. And didn't nothing But the change. system itself never was displaced. <laughs> and so, and so, and that's one of the things that I find interesting too is, is that when you have these conversations, whether you be in person or online or whatever it is, 
with individuals, it's a difficult conversation. Yeah, it is. Because from one perspective, right, you are still who you are and your generation of generations of who you are. Whereas on the other hand, a lot of a lot of folks that don't look like us that have benefited are are are, are not able to understand well first of all they can't understand because they didn't live it that's the first thing the second thing is it's like either they can wrap their head around a concept or the benefit that they've they've gotten or they choose not to or just either blindly naive that everything that came before you that your ancestors did benefits you now correct whereas I what our ancestors did doesn't benefit any of us at all yeah so when you start talking about like things like critical race theory and talking about the past and, and knowing about the past, a lot of people are not very comfortable with that because it's so ugly that they don't really want to see it because it, it, and then some people say, well, that's not me. That was the people that came before me. Okay, that's fine. But at the same time, you can still be an ally by helping to destroy the systems or knock down the systems that those that came before you put in place. And, and, and also, uh, these people are, are naive to believe that we weren't taught this. I was taught it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't taught it at school. Right. And it it, it really, it, it I didn't miss it because I was getting taught in mm-hmm. the community. Right. The same information. Right. When Lyndon Bain Johnson was running for president, uh, they had this youth group, uh, Youth for LBJ. Mm-hmm. And uh, during this time, I was in uh, probably in high school, and um, my dad and one of the other men in the community uh, took me to the rally and left me there to be with these white boys. We were going through neighborhoods, passing out flyers. Mm -hmm. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm scared. He said, I'm scared for you. He said, but the same token, if somebody don't do this, it'll never get done. Right. So he volunteered his child, which me. No one was uh, angry. No one disrespected me. But by the same token, one night after basketball practice, I was coming home and I was attacked uh, by the Klan. I was hit with a baseball bat in my back. And I'm glad today that they hit me in my back and not my head. Right. But I was 17 years old playing on the basketball team. Basketball practice was at night. The high school's on on the west side, which is the black side. I live on the east side. Mm -hmm. So I got to walk from the west side to the east side in the middle of the night. And what happened was they had other people that lived over there too. But one guy might go 10 blocks and then he'd go the other way. One guy might go four blocks and he'd go the other way. But I had to go straight. I lived the furthest east than everybody else that was on that team. Right. And that's what happened was one night I was I was attacked and a white uh, couple saw me in a ditch where they had knocked me down and they put me in the backseat of their car and took me to the hospital. Wow. The next day in, in the, it tickled me when I read it in the news and said, black youth allegedly clubbed. <laughs> I wasn't allegedly clubbed, you I was clubbed. clubbed. Right. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But that was the kind of stuff I, I grew up. I grew up around, you know, uh, the hip-hop generation came after me, Bumby and uh, Pimp C. Pimp mm-hmm. C's dad lived across the street from my mama's house uh, when when he was growing up. Right. And these kind of people, the, the guy, um, 
Stephen uh, Stephen Jackson, uh, who was also uh, a friend to the young man who got killed in uh, by. Talking about George Floyd? George Floyd. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. George yeah. Floyd used to come to my hometown all right. the time with Stephen Jack. They look like twins. Right, right. And this is the kind of connection that I had with this incident was that here's this gentleman who used to be uh, feel safe to come into my hometown, and now he is one of the driving forces that are making change right, right now. Mm -hmm. It's a shame he had to die. Yeah. You know? But there's some changes being made right now. And, you know, they, they, they activated the National Guard uh, the other day for this written hour stuff. Right. You know, so they're already expecting some, something to go down wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But, but listen, Big O. Yeah. It's been real, brother. We've right. been going at this for about 90 <laughs> minutes. It's been real. Yeah. And uh, we definitely got to do this again, man. Uh, we got to get together. I'm and, looking forward to it. And chop it up. And I, I definitely learned some stuff today. Uh, I appreciate your wisdom, your knowledge, and your perspective. And um, and thank you for and, and you just inviting me. I appreciate it. And I learned a lot today. Yeah, yeah. I learned a lot from you today. Um, it's, uh, it's, I look forward to more conversations like this, brother. We can do it. Yes, sir. And with that being said, folks, we're going to wrap up. My thing is this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hit the like and subscribe button when this gets posted. I want to thank my man, Big O, O.D. Lewis, again, for joining us. And I want everybody to have a, a blessed night and stay safe, stay warm, and most of all, love yourself and love God. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. Be sure to tune in next week. Hit the like and subscribe buttons. And then remember, the next time somebody says something suspect, or eh, tell them my thing is this, because your opinion matters. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Have a blessed week, and we are out.